0: It feels all too familiar, an unarmed black man shot by police during a minor traffic stop. Felt
1: like, you can't win. When people say justice, I just shake my head. In
2: 2021, if a cop wants to kill you, they're going to kill you.
0: What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporter every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of The Debrief Podcast. I'm hosting this week David Ushery, your anchor, at 4 and 11 p.m. And I want to be a bit honest with you. It was, uh, it was not an easy decision for me to host this week. The topic that they wanted to discuss, the producers did, was Dante Wright and... Uh, his death last weekend, and where we stand now yet again in discussing police relations, race, unrest. And um, I felt like I've discussed it so much, I felt a little weary, even though I know the topic's important. So I've invited a couple of guests to share some of those same emotions. I don't know if there's much more we can add to the facts of the story, but if you join us for this podcast, perhaps you'll get even a little bit more insight as to what people feel reacting to this. Um, look, as a news person, it's not easy. We're trained to keep our emotions at bay, stay professionally disconnected. Of course, we can be informed by our experiences, but in order to maintain that credibility, we have to present both sides and we have to look like a dispassionate uh, or disinterested party, just reflecting the facts, reflecting the stories, and then the viewer gets to interpret. But this was art. And I think I landed here because I came upstairs after the newscast on Monday. And I looked weary. And one of my managers, assistant news director, came over and, and wanted to engage. And I said, Man, I, I after looking at it, the Dante Wright video, and in that same newscast, we had video of Second Lieutenant Caron Nazario from an incident in December when he was in his Army officer uniform and stopped and pepper sprayed. Initially, the stop, because he had a temporary uh, license plate taped in the back of his car as I did a few months ago when I just leased a car. So look, to kick us off, I'm gonna introduce you to the great guests, but here's where we start. Clint Smith, who's a writer for The Atlantic and an author wrote this. Thinking of Dante Wright's family, thinking of the greater Minneapolis community, thinking of all the black folks who woke up to this news again again and again and again and again and again thinking of the toll it takes on your body, the air it pulls from your lungs every time. And Amanda Gorman, of course, delivered that wonderful poem for the inauguration, tweeted this, being alive while black is exhausting. Take care of yourself and each other. It's a launch point for discussion. Joining me today, Glenn Kontav. Glenn's an activist, performance artist, social entrepreneur, and he should be familiar to some news for viewers because I sat down with Glenn a few months ago as we talked about Black Lives Matter then, what had happened, what had transpired, what lied ahead. And here we are again. And also, Keisha Wright, and I guess I have to disclose no relation to Dante Wright, but certainly feels a connection to the story. Keisha is a mom, she's a marketing executive, she lives in Brooklyn, as does Glenn. And they all saw this story and came at it in different ways. And I said, folks, let's just talk, let's just talk about it. And those who join us on the podcast, maybe they walk away with some insight. Maybe they don't, but I felt some kind of way and it's not easy for to admit for the reasons I elicited, but I just wanted to say, Keisha, when uh, you woke up to that news or got it on Monday, just take us through your emotions. Uh, uh,
1: There were a variety of emotions, as you can imagine. I am the mother. Of a 14 year old African American boy. And so every time this happens, I see my son in those boys that lose their lives. So the first, the first emotion I had when I saw the Dante Wright video was a frustration. Um, of course, you know, here we go again. Um, and then to hear the sort of excuse of thought it was my uh, taser, but it was a gun. I just seemed, I couldn't believe that that was the excuse that was happening or being used uh, in in the spirit of, you know, air quoting transparency and fear. I always feel fear. It makes me, you know, I try and put my fears at bay. My son is at an age where he's going out into the world with his friends. He's going out without me. And every time he leaves this house without me, I worry about him coming back alive because I feel like he is perceived as you know, either a threat or, uh, coming from slavery, a tool. And if you're not a tool, then you're a threat. And so I, every time this happens, I'm fearful again, those fears are raised for me. And, and I feel like I want to go have a talk with him and he's probably over the talks because for him, I don't know how real it is yet because he hasn't experienced a lot of this. And then it also takes me back to my own experiences, you know, uh, like the Lieutenant, I have been pulled over for reasons unknown, never given a reason, and, you know, trying to do everything that I can to make sure that I don't get pepper sprayed or I I don't get a shot (laughs) eventually. So just a lot of emotions. uh, And every time, you know, to Amanda Gorman's point, it is exhausting. Every time you feel a little sense of peace, something happens that takes that peace away.
0: Glenn, um... When you and I talked, you were very candid. And, and by the way, I ultimately interviewed the police commissioner, Dermot Shea, for an end-of-the-year interview. And I played him your soundbite. I don't know if you heard that or heard about it or somebody told you later, because it was in December. But I played him the soundbite when I asked you, when you encounter an officer, are you afraid? And you were very eloquent and very direct. And you explained why. On Monday, tell me your feelings when you woke up to the news of Dante Wright.
2: When I woke up that morning, and I knew there was another video out. I, I remember I shirked up into a ball and I just like, I can't believe this is happening again. No, it definitely makes sense. This is happening again. Nothing's really changed. Yeah. And I avoided watching the video for a while because it's Monday, you got work, you got responsibilities and it's, there's a process of re-traumatizing yourself over and over and over again, and it takes a toll on you. And if you're not black and you're looking at this, just think about how you felt about your country and your safety when you watched 9-11 happen, right? I understand that individual deaths are not the same as a mask, as a mass killer. But this has been something that's been reoccurring for centuries and we just continuously see it on tape. We continuously see cops get away with this madness and we hear the excuses. And so I eventually did watch it. I definitely eventually did catch up with all the facts. And I mean, at this point, what is there really to say? It's just more excuses, zero actionable change. What is what is really going to happen? I don't know.
0: You make an interesting point because, um, you know, with George Floyd, I, 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 I couldn't really watch the video for a while. I didn't watch it when it immediately, when the story immediately came out, because I feel like I, you know, I knew. And then finally, you have to you have to see it. And I, and I don't know that I've been able to watch all nine minutes, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't. But and similar. And so maybe you guys can help me process this, because that Monday newscast we had, obviously, Dante Wright. And I looked at that and that confrontation unarmed and then you look at his parents, his mother and father crying. But then I had that with Lieutenant Nazario and I'm trying to figure out, I'm not saying it resonated more, but it seemed to touch me in a particular way in the way that unfolded. And a couple of friends of mine, black friends of mine, touched me in that same way. And Keisha, you and I had talked about it. What was it? He he was, he pulled over to a lit area. His hands were exposed uh, or, or not, you know, did not seem to present a threat at all. Again, the Dante Wright thing is analyzed very differently. He's unarmed, uh, but you see this period of conflict and fast-moving events. But Lieutenant Nazario, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just it just resonated. I'm being honest. I'm being honest. It just resonated.
1: That one. That one actually made me cry, <clears throat> um, and I think a little bit because I our kids are going to start driving soon. He did everything right. You know, he was deescalating. He was doing what the officer should have been doing. And there was still no humanity in that. And I think the reason that one also resonated with me more is because, like I said previously, I've been in that situation, pulled over for who knows why. Officers don't give you a reason and you do everything that you're taught to do. We have a routine in my family. We we get pulled over. My husband puts his hands on 10 and 2. We roll down all of the windows so that you can see our son is in the car. We are not a threat. And that one reminded me very much of our own routine that we have. And that even when you have a routine that you're trying to do everything right, this is someone who is serving our country. There's still no humanity. There's still, there's still no attempt to de-escalate. And then I even thought about the the partner, right? We teach our kids to be bystanders who are positive and helpful. Why isn't his partner being a a bystander and trying to de-escalate? Why is he supporting the escalation instead of the de-escalation? And I just felt like you can't win. There's nothing you could do to win. And that's why that one made me even more sad and, and tearful.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I read a little bit more reporting on that. And if this reporting is correct, and I'm attributing it uh, to one of the publications, uh, he was being trained. The partner was being trained. He had only been on the job a short time and, and was being trained in that. And the chief has since said that he thinks with some retraining and adjustment, he might be okay. The principal officer involved has been fired, as you probably know, and there are investigations underway. Glenn, let me ask you about that. Uh, if, if you're able to see the one involving Lieutenant Nazario, And Dante, again, not comparing or justifying, just the two layers and degrees there, if you will. You understand?
2: I think that at the end of the day, in 2021, if a cop wants to kill you, they're gonna kill you. And does it not matter what you do? And that's the terrifying aspect of it. Like, what we don't think about a lot of the time is that a lot of the people who who were in KKK meetings in the 60s are now occupying halls of power and they're not wearing white hoods. Whether it's badges, whether it's judges' robes, whether it's positions of higher office, it's the same mentality, but it's just occupied in a different space. So these police are empowered by a system where they know that if I choose to kill somebody, I'm probably good. And the fact that you don't hear about police on a large scale condemning these attacks speaks to the efficiency and the strength of that
0: system. So many questions we have. Let me, let me go back to Keisha for a second and that, that routine that you have if stopped by a police officer and this whole thing that you've had to map out this calculus. This is something that other pa- parents who are not black or families who are not black probably don't have to factor in in encounters with the police. Whether that office is black or white, and that's something that you know, I had that discussion with one of my colleagues. You know, who gets it? You know, a white colleague who understands. I said, look, conversation I have with my son, who's black and Latino, and your son, there's an added layer that I have to have, and that's just reality. And uh, and you know, it, it really is. Think about that calculus, Keisha, that you have to go through as a family. Yeah.
1: Now, I, I I remember the one of the very first times we had a serious, uh, and I think that that's why that talk commercial that P and G did, the talk was so powerful. If you guys know it and it won awards, is because it helped families who are not families of color understand what, this added layer that we have to go through. That know, was Proct- Procter Procter, Procter and Gamble. Gamble. And you can mm-hmm.
0: find it online, right? If you search mm-hmm. it, the talk. Yeah. The
1: talk. And so I remember the first time we had the talk seriously with my son, I think he was in sixth grade um, and they were meeting at their uh, the, a lower school in the city to, to go to a field trip. And this was going to be the first time that he would take the subway by himself. And so I sat him down on the bed and I was, do you have your ID? Do you have your Metro card? Don't wear your hoodie up when you're going through the subway. And he was kind of like, you're being crazy. What are you talking about? And I said, you need your id because if you get stopped you need to be able to explain because the school day was ending early so i said you need to be able to explain why you're not in school. You don't want people to think you're you're playing hooky or whatever it is. I said, you need your Metro card because I don't want you to go under if you forget it or you don't have it, because I don't want anybody to have a reason to stop you. And I said, you know the hoodie thing. Like my son is very aware of Trayvon and you know that's where we first had the hoodie conversation. I said even though it doesn't seem fair, it is what it is, hoodies give off a certain perception. And so please don't put your hoodie on when you're in the subway. And so he was still not taking me seriously. And I called my husband, and I said, "You got. You need to talk to our son, and you need to tell him that this is serious. This, these things can happen." And you know, he was twelve, so he's he's. What are you talking about? And so my husband said, "No, this is this is serious, Gavin. And if something happens, and you get stopped in the subway, you know, you comply. So we have this whole thing about comply and do what they say, and then if if." they do violate your rights, then we'll deal with that later. We'll file a complaint, or but you comply. And the fact that we have to have this discussion with a 12-year-old, and then I spend all day worrying while he's going to the subway by himself, walking to school by himself, and some people will say, wow, he's 12, and that's the first time he took the subway by himself. Yes, it absolutely is, because I'm afraid for his life. And so that that is what we're thinking about.
2: It's so real, and it, it reminds me of, of little things that I had growing up, like I wasn't allowed to wear certain colors and I started growing my locks at 21 because my, my dad knew that police were going to give me a problem. It's just all these added layers of stress. Mm-hmm. It brings you down and it's, and it's, it's stress from various perspectives. If you go to the FBI website, the definition of terrorism is the un, unlawful use of force and violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population or any segment therefore of and further into political or social objectives. Reason why I bring this up is because, like the social objective of keeping us paralyzed, is a holistic approach that that works really efficiently. Whether it's through terror that we feel through policing, whether it's the stress that we feel through finance, there are studies that say that your IQ can drop up to ten points if your finance is down. The black community is at the lowest rung in terms of finance, the food that we eat, the food apartheid that we, that we endure, right? Like literally slowing us down at every which level. That's white supremacy in action. And we don't have these, we don't know how to have these conversations as a country in terms of getting to the depth. Of course, it's traumatizing to see the death, the murder of Dante Wright on camera. I'm sure there's going to be other murders that we're going to have to endure as well. But regardless of any of that, this is a holistic issue that we need to we need to attack on all fronts. The stress is unbearable.
1: It's interesting what you said about the color, you know, not even thinking about the hoodie, but like the color of it. My son uh, bought a pair of, he custom designed a pair of shoes. Uh, and I was so proud of him. They were red, black, and green. And mm. I, we were so excited. And I didn't show them to my husband. My husband came home and we showed them. They had red soles. And that's like... It could be perceived as gang-related, and that could be a reason that he gets stopped if he's walking in Harlem. So to your point, it's like every single thing you're thinking about.
2: Has
0: to be thought about. Glenn, let me ask you something. This came up, and I think, Keisha, you kind of alluded to it. And if we go back to Trayvon Martin, Trayvon Martin was stopped by an individual who was not even a sworn member of law enforcement, but who was armed. And Trayvon Martin defended himself, um, and we under know, we understand Uh, how tragic it ended. But this issue of compliance, Glenn, because a lot of times you'll hear, and you even heard it with Lieutenant um, Nazario's case, the chief said, I wish he'd complied sooner, even though he had his hands out the window, even though he was just asking, what is this about, you know, what have you. But compliance, you know, and with Dante, who called his mom, you know, is obviously concerned. um, Do we need to really explain to people why some young black men might be fearful and want to run away from the police. It is not necessarily, we take every circumstance in and of themselves, right? But a lot of people look at it from afar and say, well, it must have been up to no good if you we were resisting. And it just doesn't seem to be as simple as that. And even if that's the case, does it have to end in the death of the young black man?
2: I think the problem is the onus is being put on young black men to know how to move in situations where we're not sure if we're going to live or die. And I think that the issue is that like, if someone who's supposedly trained and has all these years in the force is mistaking a gun for a taser, as the story goes, like there should be a zero tolerance policy, point blank period. I've worked in jobs where people were fired because they came five minutes late to their shift. I was gonna say, I've been in
1: marketing and I've seen people get fired for a typo. Yeah.
2: This shouldn't even be a conversation in terms of, oh, well, what was the person doing? Guilty or innocent, police shouldn't be killing unarmed people, period. Like, this is a non-starter for me.
0: Since George Floyd, in your conversations with colleagues and friends who are white, um, have you seen a greater degree of at least understanding or openness to knowing about this this stress, this weariness that uh, Amanda Gorman talks about that you all talk about here, the, 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 the weight of it all, if you will. Have you seen that since? And, and when we talk about this greater reckoning, I know it is not all problems are solved, but have you seen at least some shift?
1: I, I've seen a, a shift in, a, in openness to talk about the need for social justice and ra- racial equality at large and in general, but not There's not an open, or I wouldn't say there's not an openness. People are not talking about sort of the root causes, the weariness, the effects on people of color. I still feel like that is, there is a fragility that exists and uh, people are not ready to to have those deeper conversations, but they're ready to support, you know, in general, social justice and racial equality in those conversations.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that some of my white friends are now reaching out when these things are happening and seeing, lending out their arms for emotional support. But on a deeper level, it also feels like when politicians send thoughts and prayers to schools after mass shootings happen, but they don't want to actually deal with the issue, the public health guns issue. I think it's similar because at the end of the day, a a huge uh, symptom of white fragility is the fact that They don't wanna give up the privileges and positions of power that they have for our liberation. The conversation, at least from my circles, has never gotten that deep as far as what are you willing to do and give up to make sure that this doesn't happen? A lot of it is thoughts and prayers.
0: And Glenn, when we sat down in the fall, um, you had expressed some disappointment in what had happened, not specifically with the Black Lives Matter movement, but some of that passion and activism that we saw in the summer, there was a postscript and you felt that that had kind of faded and and what have you, where does that stand now? What do you think Dante's experience does in terms of black lives matter movement or what do you, what have you?
2: Um, I think time will tell. Um, I think that what we need to zoom out and think about is the fact that the civil rights movement was a decade long process. Right. Um, and there was consistent, Intensity matched with patience. Last summer, we saw unprecedented intensity that did fade off. And now I'm sitting here patient, ready to turn up. But we need to maintain that energy in terms of like, okay, there is a wrong that's being done here. And we need to be strategic in terms of what does it mean to like meaningfully defund the police. Does that phrase even make sense? Because for me personally, we're talking about, if we change it up to uh, empowering our communities, but it does the same thing in terms of structurally moving money from police departments into education and healthcare and mental health services, I don't care what you call it. But we really need to like maintain that intensity in order to reach these desired outcomes because a process of education is necessary.
0: Keisha, to me, the second killing of George Floyd would have been if absolutely nothing happened or nothing changed. But in his trial over the last couple of weeks, we saw the chief of police and other high-ranking officers in that department testify against Derek Chauvin. We've seen some bail reform uh, legislation. Uh, Many agree that it might need more work, but it is trying to address some of the inequities. Uh, Marijuana uh, reform so that low level people of color were not swept up into the system. Uh, and we've seen these other kind of reckonings nationally. We've seen the professional sports uh, find their voice on some of these issues, still finding them now. Uh, is So have you seen some change? I mean, without drawing conclusions, is there, I don't feel like reason for optimism is because we're still right in the throes of this, but. Do you see something, some change, some action coming out of it? Out of it is
1: yeah, I, I mean, I see all the things that you've said, right? I, I think the most shocking and surprising to me, and, and I hope that it has a powerful impact on the jury, is that police officers were coming out against the actions of Chauvin. And to me, that could be the thing that if, if, if the jury comes back and you know convicts in some way, Maybe other police officers, maybe I'm being naive, but maybe that's a little bit of the tipping point. Um, I was surprised to wake up in this morning and hear, I don't know if it happened last night or this morning, that the the woman who um, shot uh, Wright was was charged. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, that's a step in the right direction, too. She'll probably plea out because she got a low charge, but it's, I feel like all these little things will start to add up. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I'm still concerned with my son making it home. And so I, I've been trying to work with a few other moms to start a workshop that, you know, teaches boys of color and their allies how to survive a stop. To me, it needs to start at grassroots. Like we, yes, policy level upstream, but we need to take care of our own as well. So that's how I'm trying to turn my, my, my fear into action and, and a positive action that can, can help boys of color on, on the ground level.
0: Glenn, same question. The Again, I think it would have been the second death uh, if absolutely nothing changed. Do you see some changes, as, as Keisha was discussing?
2: I think I'm a little more cynical. Reason being is Daniel Pantaleo choked and killed Eric Garner on camera. It took him years for him to lose his job. He's not in jail. And Derek Chauvin killed george floyd after that fact right like even if derek chauvin spends some time behind bars like i don't i think it changes the temperature in the room slightly we'll see some small incremental changes but it's not going to hit the root of the issue and the root of the issue is that we fund violence instead of funding services for the people
0: All right. Well, I know the three of us could talk on this for a long time, but I think for our own mental health, uh, we've got to wrap it up. But I hope those who've joined us understand just a little of the insight. And again, I'll bring it back to me, and I don't like to. I've got 32 years as a reporter. I hope I have a relationship with a viewer that they know. I will cover the police department and incidents fairly and objectively. But at some point, these stories, they hurt. They get to you. All of us. And it should get to all of us, really. So maybe it was a bit of a catharsis on this week's debrief. Glenn Kantav, who's an entrepreneur. And Glenn, you, just tell me the name of your app real quick, because you're trying to enlighten people real quick.
2: Yeah, it's called Kinfolk. It's an augmented reality app of black and brown figures
0: you don't learn about in school. OK, perfect. Down, go look and download it. I did it. Keisha, Keisha Wright, marketing executive as a mom. And certainly we connect on so many levels as a parent of a child of color. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate
0: it. Thank you for joining us on The Debrief. I want to thank our digital team, Ben Berkowitz, Darren Price, our executive producer, Melissa Mack. We'll see you the next time on The Debrief.